0: Hello, and welcome to the second episode of Chasing Emmy. We made it to episode two, Lynette.
1: Yay. It's amazing. It's incredible.
0: Um, I'm Henry Goldblatt, editor-in-chief of Entertainment Weekly. I'm here with two of my friends and colleagues, Lynette Rice, editor-at-large at Entertainment Weekly. Hello, hello. And Kristen Baldwin, TV critic at Entertainment Weekly. Hello. Kristen, we made it to episode two. Woo! Um, Thank you for all of your support and um, feedback on our first episode of Chasing Emmy. We're very, very grateful, and we are doing this for you, the TV fans, so we welcome all of your feedback and comments and all sorts of things, Um, and please rate us on the iTunes store so people can find us and um, spread the word. We're enjoying doing this and really want to engage with you guys and we love TV fans more than anything else in the world. Good God, they can rate us. <laughs> <laughs> Lynette, you get five stars. Oh my God, you're an A plus. Is it
1: star? Is it like one through five stars? Is that what it is?
0: Yes, that certainly is what it is.
1: Oh my God. Okay. It's not like Entertainment
0: Weekly ratings where we grade people. Where we grade people.
1: With A through F, yeah, that would that would that could be heartbreaking. Yeah.
0: <laughs> we have all been at Entertainment Weekly a very long time. Like I think between the three of us we have like sixty years or something like that. Kristen, what is the harshest grade that you can give someone?
2: You know, it's interesting. An F is very rare simply because an F is like a failure on all accounts. I think the best grade that was ever given was an F plus, which was given by Ken Tucker to the soap opera Passions. And it was really like it was an F plus really uh, encapsulates like the show is so bad on so many levels, though. I loved it. And it was it was sort of brazen in its failure so he really he
1: gave it an f plus which i thought was a wonderful grade i remember when darren gave some show a d minus and to me that is totally mean a d minus is actually worse than an f plus
0: i completely agree with you lynette i actually think d plus is the worst grade because it represents a bit of trying on whoever the creators part and we recognize that they tried and just utterly failed whereas an f like you didn't you didn't even bother yeah
2: exactly yeah it's 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 hard, I mean, I sometimes wish there were grades in between uh like b plus and a minus, you know, just because sometimes a show is not quite in the a level but it's you know better than a b plus it's hard, you know, but we we do our best, we e w critics
0: Kristen. Did Passions ever get nominated for an Emmy?
2: I would imagine that it did, actually, for a daytime Emmy. And if it didn't win all of the categories that it was nominated in, it was a crime because that show was a soap opera about the underworld. There were witches. There was a woman who made it. A- made cake out of tomato soup. There was a lot of stuff on that show that was crazy.
0: Speaking of the Daytime Emmys, they were this past weekend. And Lynette, some of your pals won a big-time Emmy at the Daytime Emmys.
1: Oh, don't deny that they're your pals too, Henry. We're talking about, of course, The Talk and and, and Cheryl and Julie. And Julie had a lovely aquamarine number and she won, uh, along with her uh, co-host, best host of a day, of a daytime show, which I think that's not the first time, which was kind of a, a big deal. The only thing, it's just the whole thing is just kind of sad because the show has been reduced to a streaming program. So if you wanted to watch the Daytime Emmys, you go on Twitter and you find the Daytime Emmys channel and then you watch it there. And it was just it's sad to where it's become because this used to be a big show, but now no network will run it. It's such a huge contrast to the Primetime Emmys.
0: Good segue, Lynette. I mean, you served that one up for me perfectly. Speaking of the Primetime Emmys, so we really have appreciated all your feedback. And a lot of you have asked, why are you doing a For Your Consideration podcast at this point in time? Well, we started a little earlier than we might be because we want to make sure that we dove deep into every single major category to give you a thorough view of what's going on. But actually, nomination round voting begins on June 11th, which means like all the people that are remotely eligible for Emmys submit their stuff and all the voters start to go through it and decide to start narrowing down who should be nominated and what have you. The nominations themselves come out July 12th at a ceremony in L.A. And then when people start voting on the nominations is really the second week in August. August 13th um, was when awards voting begins. And then the Emmys himself are going to be telecast on Monday, September 17th on NBC. And it was recently announced that Colin Jost and Michael Che of SNL are going to be hosting. Kristen, what do you think of the two of them as hosts?
2: I like it. I mean, I find them They've grown on me as Weekend Update hosts on Saturday Night Live. And I think they will probably give... uh, You know, they certainly won't uh, be afraid to take risks in terms of the types of jokes that they tell. Uh, I generally prefer meaner Emmy hosts than nicer, more... You know, I'm more on the uh, David Letterman versus the Ellen DeGeneres spectrum of uh, hosts. So I think they should be interesting. They'll probably... uh, do some things that fail, but that's just because, you know, they're going to be trying a whole bunch of stuff that's new. And it should be more, uh, it should be pretty funny, I think.
0: There were two parts of the announcement that made me happy. The first was that they said they were going to integrate some of the members of Saturday Night Live into the show. And I think that was very cool. The second is that they said that they were the first duo to host the Emmys since David Hyde Pierce and Jenna Elfman in 1999. I'm just going to let that one sit for a second. Well, what was interesting to me about David Hyde Pierce and Jenna Elfman is that they were on shows from two competing networks. It rotates between four, the four big broadcast networks, and NBC always puts on their own talent as hosts, just like Fox does and ABC and CBS. And so, I, I mean, 1999 may have been the very last time that there was hosts from two competing networks.
2: Can't we all just get along? And why do, why do we have to be promoted? <laughs> no, we can't.
0: no we definitely definitely can't okay so we are not going to talk any more about David Hyde Pierce and Jenna Elfman in this particular episode but we are going to focus on outstanding supporting actor in a drama series and we've got a really special guest coming up later in the show in the form of Jeffrey Wright from Westworld we're very excited to talk to him Kristen I was hoping you could take me through some of the recent past winners of this category
2: sure um so going back to 2013 uh In 2013, Bobby Cannavale from Boardwalk Empire won. In 2014, it was Aaron Paul for Breaking Bad. He was uh, uh, an Emmy favorite. 2015, Peter Dinklage from Game of Thrones. In 2016, uh, a little dark horse, Ben Mendelsohn from Bloodline. He was excellent.
1: I don't think so. That was not a dark horse. Take that back. Uh, I, 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 I. I take it
2: back. Uh, 2017, it was Mr. John Lithgow for The Crown playing Winston Churchill. So Netflix, for the last two years, took home the win.
0: What was interesting about last year is that nobody from Game of Thrones was eligible because Game of Thrones didn't air during the cycle. This year, I think you're going to see a lot more Game of Thrones nominees than um, obviously would have last year. Who were some of last year's nominees, Lynette?
1: Some of last year's nominees, not bad ones. Not bad. Jonathan Banks from Better Call Saul. Uh, Ron Jones. I only said Ron Jones because I was afraid I'm going to mess up his middle name. Uh, And this is us. Uh, David Harbour, Stranger Things. Uh, Michael Kelly, Love uh, from House of Cards. John Lithgow from The Crown. Manny Patinkin from Homeland and Jeffrey Wright from Westworld. That shows you the wiggle room they give themselves. Uh, which is a goodwill gesture that, you know, you're all winners, yeah.
0: We were talking about Aaron Paul a little bit earlier. He is actually one of the most awarded people in this category. He won three times, and this category is a little weird. Until 1970, the supporting drama actor and supporting comedy actor competed against each other, which sounds absolutely ridiculous if you look back at it, if you think about it in this world, like how could you compare John Lithgow's performance in The Crown to something that somebody's doing on Modern Family or what have you. Aaron Paul is the only person, person who's actually won this category three times since 1970 for the supporting drama category that uh, when it was a combined category you had two other three-time winners art Carney for the Jackie Gleason show and Don Knotts for the Andy Griffith show
2: this takes us back to Andy Griffith again which we brought up in last week's podcast the fact that he was never nominated
1: I feel like that's got to be our goal like every episode how does this all tie back to Andy Griffith let's do it <laughs>
0: I'm, I'm about to say something that I probably shouldn't say. I don't know if I've ever seen an episode of The Andy Griffith Oh, show. my God. I, just, I just
1: died. I, this, Henry, no. <laughs> it's streaming right now on Netflix. You have to do it tonight before you go to bed. It'll put you in such a great place.
0: It's streaming on Netflix?
1: It is. All the seasons. And it just makes you so happy, and you'll go to sleep with a smile on your face. I guarantee it. Is it like a talkie?
0: Like Stop old- it! <laughs> Do they act it out? Is there cast acting out every episode?
1: Oh my God, this is so mean.
0: <laughs> um, at any rate, so it's an old-time talkie, and they act it out behind your TV screen every night so- f- just for you on the Andy Griffith Show. You should check it out. I also wanted to talk about the most nominated people in this category ever with six apiece. Egg Bedley Jr. for St. Elsewhere, Peter Dinklage for Game of Thrones, Will Geer for The Waltons. He was Grandpa Walton, and he actually got one of his nominations posthumously. Jimmy Smits as Victor on L.A. Law and Bruce White for Hill Street Blues. Lots of NBC 1980s dramas.
1: Good dramas. Yeah, they love a good ensemble show. Will Gear. wow. Yeah. Did you guys watch The Waltons?
0: I'm going to go with a hard pass on The Waltons for me. How about you, Kristen?
2: I was a Little House on the Prairie person myself, and I just I feel like I don't have room for two old-timey uh
0: family dramas in my life. What was so wonderful about the Waltons besides Goodnight John Boy?
1: I think it was the soothing da 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 that song. I mean it's just so much yeah. I loved that and and it was you know it was a good family. Just a good family and they liked each other. They just really
0: liked each other. Great Lynette, now we're gonna be sued for you humming the theme from the Waltons since we don't have the rights to run it. The other thing, you know, I also watch these categories for diversity, too. And I'm afraid to say that there has not been an African-American actor who's ever won in this category, which seems kind of ridiculous.
2: And I hope that changes this year with that with Mr. Jeffrey Wright.
0: And we'll be talking about that in our next segment. Lynette, you always take us through a snub that hurts in this category. Who's some snubs that have been di- disappointing to you?
1: I actually have several. Uh, thanks to uh, cable and of HBO, The Wire. I mean, th- that's just become you know their go-to bitch fest when it comes to shows that were egregiously overlooked. There are two actors from that show who uh, really deserved uh, at least at least a nominee, if not the trophy, and that's Michael Kenneth Williams. He played Omar. Uh, I don't know if you guys were a Wire watcher, but he was just most excellent. Uh, he did actually end up getting a nomination for the night of uh, in two thousand. 2016 for hbo but that just felt like a little too late uh and the other dude that i was very sad about was Andrei, uh, Andre andre royal he played bubbles on the wire he was the 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 drugged out dude he was just extraordinary uh now two others uh henry will probably not like this because it has to do with my beloved shield but walt goggins played detective shane vendrell uh and he was just a total underdog on that show Henry, I see you smiling. I feel like you have something to say.
0: I will keep on going with your snubs, and then I will say it. Trust me.
1: Uh, Walton, uh, he did get a nomination when he was on Justified. He was outstanding on that show as well. He played Boyd Crowder, uh, but still, I, I felt like he really deserved it playing Shane. And the last one is Michael Imperioli from The Sopranos. Uh, he did get two noms uh, for playing the supporting role in that show, but the, uh, he never he never won for playing Christopher. Uh, Mollisanti, loved him. Christopher. Christopher.
0: Kristen, Kristen. should you or should I talk about Lynette's fascination with Michael Chiklis, the star of The Shield?
2: I feel like you're the boss, and so you really should own it and talk about all the ways that she is obsessed
0: with Michael Chiklis. I believe there's a cardboard cutout that used to be in your office, now is perhaps in your garage.
1: See this, this, this speaks to how Henry doesn't really come over by my desk. Cause if he would, he would notice that it's literally hanging on the wall to the left of my desk, and he hasn't even noticed it.
2: And is it autographed? I feel like it's an autographed.
1: It's autographed. You know, th- th- hey, something about like Lynette, thanks for keeping, helping me keep the streets clean, or something. I don't know. And uh, and and it's a picture of him as Vic Mackey. And it's he, when he looked his finest, he lost all this weight to look like a hot cop. I loved it.
0: I love it.
2: And, you know, often in conversations with Lynette, it'll be like, oh, that guy's cute. He's no chick list. Right. But... <laughs>
0: Kristen and Lynette, I think uh, Kristen knows this. I don't know if Lynette does. I've been doing a deep dive into Murder One, which is a terrific show by Stephen Bochco in the mid-90s. It was so before its time because it followed one murder case over 22 episodes. It was just so serialized in a way that you probably didn't see at that point, but now would sort of fit in well to the TV landscape. But there is a thought connection here, and I promise it. So Hulu is thinking that I'm going to be enjoying dramas from the mid-90s, and is serving up The Commish, also starring Michael Chiklis. Lynette, were you a fan?
1: You know, I never watched The Commish. I remember it in the way that you just remember any procedural that's on television, but I never watched The Commish. All I remember is that he was a little fluffier than he being Michael Chiklis, and so he had to lose the weight from being The Commish to being Vic Mackey, and so, Yeah. Does Hulu just think you like shows with bald men in them? Because, like...
0: I actually think that may be the algorithm.
1: I'd watch Murder One. And remember, there's that period that dude on Murder One, what's the actor's name, the star? Daniel Benzali. Yes, the people, he he went through a hot face that everyone thought he was kind of sexy in his own way. I remember that, and I and I remember feeling it, too.
0: We're just going to let that one lie there. We promised you occasionally that we'd be pointing you to shows that you should binge, and I know Kristen and I feel this way. I can't recommend Murder One enough. It's really, really special, Kristen, why do you like it so much?
2: Well, like you said, first of all, it's, uh, you know, it was groundbreaking in that it was, it followed one case through the whole season, which at the time was, you know, crazy for network TV. uh, And people couldn't believe they were going to try that. It also has an amazing cast. Daniel Benzali's in it, he's great. Stanley Tucci's in it, Donna Murphy. Patricia Clarkson.
0: And a young Adam Scott.
2: So many good people. And it's just really well written. And uh, the acting's great. And it was Jason Gedrick. How did I forget Jason Gedrick? Poor old Jason Gedrick. So it really is, if you like sort of uh, serialized legal crime thrillers this is definitely one that holds up
0: completely agree and patricia clarkson looks amazing she looks exactly the same
2: she she does not age she has a portrait somewhere
0: yeah she definitely has a portrait somewhere up next we're going to be talking to you about uh, who we'd like to see nominated in the supporting actor drama series category so stay tuned Hello, and welcome back to Chasing Emmy, sponsored by Michael Chickless.
1: Michael Chickless, he has so much money. He could sponsor our little podcast.
0: At some point during this discussion, I'm not going to say which show it was, but I do want to do a segment in which we talk about high-quality shows that we pretended that we watched, but we actually didn't.
1: I got—I mean, I'm not ashamed. I'll tell you right now. It's freaking Breaking Bad. I, I think I've watched maybe three episodes.
0: We're going to let that one hang there, Lynette. Speaking of Breaking Bad and Aaron Paul, Aaron Paul was the most awarded actor in the supporting actor drama category. And we're going to go around saying who we think will be nominated this year. And Kristen, let's start with you. Who's your first choice to be nominated for supporting actor drama?
2: All right. So my first choice is Justin Hartley from This Is Us. He's submitting in the supporting actor category and he had his character Kevin had the rehab storyline this season and nothing says emmy like a rehab storyline you know there's the hitting rock bottom there's the going to rehab there's the cathartic family therapy session that all screams uh you know emmy voter love you know something that emmy voters will love and you know see, the he didn't really have a ton of emmy you know, sort of grabby material before that storyline. So I
1: think this could be his year.
0: I completely, completely agree with you and would like to see that.
1: I don't agree at all. I don't agree at all. Why not, Lynette? I think there's way too much competition. Uh, I don't, unfortunately, because there's such a strong ensemble, I feel like Justin gets lost in that ensemble, despite the fact that he had that rehab uh, Storyline, I, I just don't see him getting it, and and unfortunately, it's almost like he's kind of a prisoner of his own character. They play him um, as the pretty boy uh, who's kind of vapid, but you know we, you know you're not getting to what's behind there. But I think he's lost in that too, and he's just upstaged by Sterling and and the women and Milo. It's unfortunate, but I, I if he gets a nomination, I will be shocked.
2: But he's not competing against Milo or Sterling. Uh, in this category. So he might be able to eke out his
1: own space. I'm just thinking then about, just you think about all the, the competition that's out there, you know, obviously from Stranger Things, Game of Thrones... Uh, you know homeland you know Ozark and the Americans i I just I, i'm I, I'm sorry the, I'm thinking of the drama actor I, I I'm not feeling confident
0: I agree with you Kristen I think that it's easy to overlook somebody who plays a pretty boy character as some, like oh he's just playing himself but I think he's added some depth and soul to this character that goes beyond just sort of like a washed-up actor type and I'd like to I'd very much like to see him nominated and I will go on a limb and say that he will be
1: you should say I agree with you Lynette because I said pretty boy or were you like agreeing with Kristen but then you were agreeing with what I said
0: I was agreeing with Kristen that I'd like to see him nominated
1: yeah no one's agreeing with you Lynette oh okay because <laughs> it sounds like you're agreeing with me All right, go ahead.
0: My choice is Peter Dinklage from Game of Thrones, and it really doesn't need an explanation. He's been nominated um, a whole bunch of times in this category, six to be exact, and I think he will get another nomination this year.
1: I'm going to say Nikolai uh, from uh, Game of Thrones, and I'm not saying his full last name for obvious reasons.
0: Well, tell everyone who he plays, at least.
1: He plays Jamie Lannister on Game of Thrones, and he's never won, I believe, in in this category. And I think it's damn time. I think he's fantastic.
0: Kristen, who's your next choice?
1: My next choice is the charming and talented Jeffrey Wright, who
2: was nominated last year as well. And uh, last year he had, you know, he plays Bernard on Westworld. And last year he had the huge reveal that he he found out he was a host. And this season uh, on Westworld, he's... uh, Bernard is really helping uncover a lot of the mysteries of Westworld and the true purpose of of the park itself. And he's doing some great work. And I think he'll get nominated again.
0: It's funny. I was thinking about the cast of Westworld last night, as one often does before they go to sleep. And I was like, wow, Ed Harris, Tandy Newton, Jeffrey Wright... Um, Evan Rachel Wood. This sounds like a cast of a movie. Like This doesn't sound like the cast of an HBO show.
2: It's really incredible. And the fact, by the way, that Ed Harris did not get nominated playing the man in black last time, uh, I feel like is a total crime. Uh, But yes, it's an amazing cast and they're all doing excellent work.
0: They really are. All right. My next choice is the Patankin, Mandy Patankin from Homeland, who continues to just... um, put in some wonderful, wonderful, wonderful acting. And I know this show is in its seventh season. It's easy to overlook a show that that's that age, but I don't think we should overlook Mandy. I think he had a very, very strong season and he's so compelling to watch on screen.
1: My next is David Harbour from Stranger Things. Love him. I I don't have much more to say on that. Just love him. What do
0: you love about him, Lynette?
1: He's authoritative, yet he's a guy you can have a beer with. He's also, he's a protector. He's just, he's a, He has the it's the it's the triple. It's the triple. He's hitting the triple.
0: All right. So that gives us for supporting actor in a drama series that gives us Peter Dinklage, David Harbour, Nikolai Coaster waldo I know that's a tough one. Uh, Mandy Patinkin, Justin Hartley and Jeffrey Wright. How do we feel about that lineup?
2: I mean, I would like to add one more person if we could. Uh, Noah Schnapp from Stranger Things. He played uh, Will. And in season one, he He was basically covered in goo in the Upside Down, shivering, didn't have a whole lot to do. But in season two, he really got to uh, show some of his range. He was possessed by the shadow monster, and he had a lot of great uh, moments this second season of Stranger Things. So I think uh, Netflix will be pushing hard for him to get recognized.
0: Kristen, who would you remove then to put in Noah? The Patink.
2: I got to go with the Patink. I'm sorry. I would remove him. I mean, it's never going to happen, but in my dream world, the Patink goes into the sunset, and young
1: Noah gets a shot. Who said the patink? I did. okay. yeah. we should
0: move remove the patink, oh, no. all right.
1: Should't we also discuss? I mean, how, was the was the the buzz as good for season second? The second season of Stranger Things is the first season. I mean, are we being really ambitious here, assuming there'll be nominations from that show?
2: I think David Harbour for sure will be nominated in part just because people love him. And, you know, off camera, he's been just as much of an entertaining personality as he was on camera. He did the Super Bowl ads. He did that photo shoot with the high school student for her band pictures, which were amazing. Like, people love him. I think people, you know, he'll get a good will vote. uh, And he was very good in season two as well. Noah is certainly a long shot.
0: And he also teased that he had the most amazing speech ready as well. So I want to hear that. All right, speaking of long shots, um, let's play the game Let Me Plead For. Kristen, who is your let me plead for?
2: My let me plead for is Brendan Fraser from an FX show called Trust. And I'm going to tell you why. Trust is a drama that started this uh, this year about the real-life kidnapping of John Paul Getty III in 1973. And I did not enjoy it, but... Uh, Frasier is amazing. He gives a controlled magnetic performance as former CIA agent Getty family fixer James Fletcher Chase. This was a character who was based on a real person, played by uh, Mark Wahlberg in the movie All the Money in the World. But uh, in this version, Frasier really uh, creates a totally different character. He's wearing, he's got a Texas twang and he wears a big Stetson hat. And it, he's he could have crossed over into caricature. He has to address the camera directly at times. It makes no. Sense. Sense, but he's got so much charm and charisma that he just makes it work. And I, I loved it so much, his performance, that I really hope it serves as his audition for the lead of season four of Fargo, if that ever happens.
0: That is a compelling case, Kristen. Thank you. Kristen, explain how you can love a performance so much but hate a show.
2: It's really interesting because when you're watching a show, you know, I usually don't like to form a real opinion of the show until I've seen at least three episodes. That's not always possible, but sometimes when you're watching a show, you... You know you, you know, you just start tuning out because you oh, I've seen this before or or oh, this is boring or oh, I hate all these performances. but in in a case like this, I didn't hate the show. I just didn't find it very compelling. But then every time Brendan Fraser came on the screen, I was loving it. He made me laugh out loud. Uh, and he he dealt with some of the more awkward tonal shifts of the series it has several uh with real ease and i just came out of it
1: feeling good about him so he was definitely a
2: bright spot
0: lynette who is your let me plead for
1: well my speech isn't nearly as long as Kristen's, but i'm going to say joseph finds uh from the the handmaid's tale he's so creepy and you go from wanting to punch him to then you also see sympathy in those eyes, and I can't, I can't take my eyes off of him. I, I, I mean, every moment I think there has to be something redeeming. There's got to be something there, uh, and he, the scenes that he's in, uh, I, I, I'm totally engaged because it's hard to watch this show because it's so depressing, it's so dark. And so you really got to find those gems to to keep you tuned in. And he's one of them for me.
0: My let me plead for is Delroy Lindo from The Good Fight. He plays Adrian Bozeman, who is the the head lawyer at this firm that Diane Lockhart joins. He is so ridiculously outstanding and nuanced and can do more with like a curl of a lip than absolutely anybody on TV. Um, He's had a lot of wonderful material this year. One episode, he was a TV pundit and they explored the like the racial dynamics of TV punditry and like what happened happens when there's two African-American pundits, heaven forbid, on a panel and what what that can bring. He's The show is diving deep into meta-commentary on what's going on in our political society, and he's just front and center, just doing God's work as far as I'm concerned. I'm really impressed with him, and nothing would make me happier than to see him get sneak in in this category. I,
1: I totally agree on on this one, I mean, partially because I'm a huge good fight fan, but my first encounter with him was in the movie Ransom with Mel uh, Gibson, and he was the FBI guy who was brought in to negotiate with the, the guy holding their kid. And you thought he was your friend, and then he ends up being super duplicitous and that you can't trust him. And that's what's so great about this actor is that he's, you know, he's, he seems like he's your best bud, and then he's just going to screw you. Uh, uh, and but I love it. I, I love that about him. But also when he cusses on that show, it's like, dang, he's scaring me. I, 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 when he really lets out the F-bomb, he's great. That's all.
0: Up next, we are super excited to hear Kristen Baldwin's conversation with Jeffrey Wright from Westworld. So stay tuned for that.
2: I'm delighted to welcome Jeffrey Wright, the Emmy-nominated star of Westworld. He plays Bernard Lowe, one of the park's top programmers, who at the end of last season learned that he was, in fact, a host, a.k.a. robot. This season, Bernard is slowly uncovering some of Westworld's biggest mysteries, including the park's top secret mission for investors. Jeffrey, thank you so much for joining me. Let's get right into it. So this season... Bernard is struggling to remember what happened during the board meeting massacre, but he also kind of has to pretend that he doesn't know what he does remember because he doesn't want to reveal too much to Delos executives. As an actor, how do you approach playing such a layered situation for Bernard?
3: Well, I think one thing that I've learned about our show, and I think audiences have learned, is not to make too many assumptions. So I think your question might be layered with assumptions that we may not want to make.
2: (laughs) I see. Okay. well, how would you describe where where Bernard is, you know, what he's doing and how he's feeling in this beginning half of the second
3: season? I think Bernard is is struggling with his existence. And we see that in the first first episode, shortly after all hell was broken out. He's debilitated, and and so his machine is breaking down, and so is so are all his faculty. In the other timeline, uh, after Delos has deployed its paramilitary groups and security groups, and he is working through what happened as they are. I think the fog of war for him may be a, the result of a, a different weather formation but he's nonetheless not uh, seeing as clearly as, as he might.
2: He's gone through the ringer because certainly at the end of last season, he found out he was a host and then he was ordered to kill his girlfriend. And then this season to sort of, right after the massacre, to have to be trying to piece everything together, it's it's really as though you really want something good to happen to Bernard.
3: Well, yeah, Bernard lives his life in the ringer. <laughs> he's... he's uh. And, and and perhaps it goes back to something that ford describes about suffering as a means toward evolution and enlightenment but bernard is certainly like most everyone inside the park not having the grandest time and at the same time he's using the processes that are driving him toward survival to build his understanding and his awareness of both who he is and where he is and uh, ideally, you know, leading to uh, a type of clarity that, that, um, that he doesn't enjoy at the start. In the first season, Bernard was very much the kind of uh, understated, mild-mannered Mad Hatter leading, leading us down through the various, uh, you know, rabbit holes in which we, through which we follow him to understand the place and then over the course of that journey, you realize that it's a, you know, it's a journey of self-discovery for him, too. I think season two is that what amplified with higher stakes and with brighter points of discovery for him.
2: Absolutely. And what's interesting is the hosts, you know, the that we follow on the show, they all seem to have very different responses to becoming sort of self-aware. Dolores really wants revenge and power, and Maeve wants to sort of forge a life of her own outside of Westworld. And do you have any sense, obviously we know you can't get into spoilers, but as a performer, do you have any sense of what Bernard wants at this point in his journey?
3: Well, I think each of the characters has a different definition of survival and a different uh, definition of freedom and clearly they all enjoy a level of freedom that they hadn't enjoyed while under Ford's control in season one. And so everyone is driving towards that same thing, but that same thing is different for each of them. And uh, that's, that's kind of the unifying uh, element uh, for all of them. In a kind of disunifying
2: way, <laughs> <laughs> right? They they are each following very different paths, but that makes sense. Yeah, that they're each looking for the same thing in a way. I love, you know, Ber- Bernard has always a very, been a very meticulous guy. You know, he thinks things through. Uh, you know, people made a big deal of the fact that right before he had to kill his girlfriend, he took off, he took off his coat and tie. You know, he was he was very meticulous about it, but now he's really kind of out of his element. And what what is I assume that's kind of, that's a new challenge for you and probably kind of fun for you as a performer to have him in this situation?
3: Oh, absolutely. He's really kind of driving down into different element of humanness, whereas there's the story of the recreation of humanness that the hosts play out, which kind of mirrors what we do as actors in terms of the the tools that we use to craft character emotion, thought, physicality, memory, all of these things mirror what the hosts do. In Bernard's case, in the second season, he's kind of in the basement of that uh, exploration of humanness or exploration of his own existence in that he's really trying to grasp his relationship to time, his relationship to space, you know, as a machine, you know, existing inside of it. And so that as well was informative for me because it really required that I focus on the moment-to-moment details of each scene. I was also forced to do that because quite often I hadn't read the full uh, script that I was working on. I think for logistical reasons, I worked on seven episodes in the first five or six weeks, four or five weeks of filming season two, not having read each each of them entirely. And so it was, you know, kind of mirroring Bernard's Bernard's challenge of trying to make his way through while viewing everything through a glass darkly that he was, you know, uh, simultaneously trying to, to, to buff clear. So... I found it to be useful uh, in terms of aligning myself with his story Uh, at the same time, it was challenging, but I enjoyed the challenge. We, you know, we, we, we surrender to the complexities and to the mysteries and to the math equations that we have to work through as we, as we, um, as we, as we play this stuff. We do that because we have, enormous faith and trust in uh, Jonah uh, and Lisa and in one another and in the work that we're doing. And, and it, it's a rare thing to be in a situation, to work on a show in which you give in to positive, paucity of information. But at the same time, Jonah and Lisa make themselves open before we shoot every scene, uh, either to rehearsal for the more complex scenes or with the scenes that are less complex, they make themselves available so that we can, uh, you know, or certainly in my case, just barrage them with questions until, until I have enough information to clearly mark my way through the scene. And as well, there was a certain advantage to to that for me in the first few weeks because in that I was shooting scenes from from many different episodes, it gave me plot points along the way to understand the arc of uh, season two for Bernard. So even though it seems that I, you know, at, at the same time, I was, you know, in the dark about certain things in terms of the overall arc, I had uh, a bit more light on it because I had seen it from, from various angles very early on.
2: Do you usually get scripts pretty late in the game in terms of when it's time to shoot an episode, or how much? You had mentioned that you were only able to read part of each of the scripts. Was that just because you were shooting them out of sequence, sort of, and they wanted to give you just the your scenes?
3: Yeah, I just got the the script for episode ten just now, like like ten minutes ago. They emailed it to I'm kidding. Yeah, we we get uh we <laughs> we get scripts we get scripts in enough time the thing is our writers room is you know is cranking like all of us you know uh, throughout the season we don't have source material so you know they're working from a very basic blueprint of any given episode and then they're building layers onto it and fleshing it out and then ultimately jonah and lisa We understand what the process is. So they want to deliver us the finished product and not get ahead of themselves. So, you know, we wait patiently, and then it's dropped on us, and then we read it voraciously.
2: kids say exactly um to that end you had learned you learned that bernard was a host after you shot the pilot i believe when you were in production on episode two and i'm wondering without giving anything away can you say was that the biggest shock you've learned so far about your character or was there something else after that that's a big one
3: that's pretty big there's more to come
2: okay Fair enough. You know, sometimes actors will say that they don't watch their own shows simply because sometimes they don't like to watch themselves or sometimes they just don't have time. Are you able to watch the completed episodes?
3: Oh, absolutely.
2: Whose story other than Bernard's are you most obsessed
3: with? I watch the show because I love the show and I am curious about what the other uh storyline are up to we work in multiple units so we're not always privy to um what what each other is up to so i want to catch up with with mave and dolores and the man in black and you know and william uh, man in black jr you know i want to catch up with everyone so i'm curious to see and i'm also curious to see uh, all of the elements come together the cinematography uh we shoot on film, which is a rare thing. And to see those elements play out, to see um, the shots that, uh, that I worked on, but didn't necessarily view through the lens because we don't work with video monitors on set. So there's no going back and kind of retracing, you know, previous takes by watch. You know, we don't waste time with that. We're very efficient. We try to drive forward. So we don't have so so Jonah doesn't really want video monitors on the or you know or tape uh, video tape on the set. So I love to see the angles, you know, that we've used and how those have worked. I love to see the music that's been laid in, which is always additive and 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 beautiful. And just we have such a, a powerful you know collaboration with really talented folks who are just bringing it because they're. Compelled by what we're doing, so I love to see it all come together at the end of the day. So yes, I do watch it, but if there's a storyline that I follow, um, it's there's there's not. I don't I don't think there's any one storyline that I'm you know really curious to see more than any other, uh, because I think even though we're telling these various stories, they work together. And if as well, when you understand the full arc of the season, you understand that these are. Disparate lines servicing the same thread. And what I'm most excited about, more so than seeing any individual storyline, is seeing those points where they're cross and where they come together. The math proves itself and, and the this, this story elevates because the structure becomes clear and the relationships play out. That's what I most, what I, what I most groove to when I, when I watch the show
2: and you know people have different schools of thought about how they watch the show i for one is some am someone who just watches and you know enjoys how beautiful it is and i love the characters but i'm not you know i don't get really deep into geeking out on trying to determine what the clues are and really dissecting every specific scene. Do you have a, an approach? Are you more of like a Reddit viewer who's really, you know, nerding out on every frame or are you just letting it wash over you? Yeah.
3: I mean, I have the advantage of having, you know, read <laughs> read everything, so I don't get so so caught up in trying to solve the puzzles and and, you know, under under underneath the mysteries. However, going back and watching the pilot, which I did a few weeks before uh, the season two premiere, I did discover some bright lights that uh, I had missed prior because uh, I wasn't aware of where we were heading, and so it's 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 good fun. It's good fun to do that. Yeah, there's some <clears throat> there's some there's some flashing street signs along the way that doesn't look like anything to anyone who uh, hasn't gotten through season two yet.
2: This is a show that benefits from a rewatch for sure. I'm wondering uh, how has playing Bernard changed your thinking about technology in real life? Like, I'm wondering, do you own an Alexa or anything like that? Or does it just freak you out now?
3: Yeah, no, I don't own an Alexa. No. Uh, it's, it's, it's pretty clear that Season 2 begins to explore intent from, an, from a corporate-slash-ownership perspective, that there's a deeper level to this Westworld game, both within it and without it. And so I was attuned to that prior to signing on to the show and i am even more attuned to that now yes because of uh my my work on the show but also because of my reading the news so i think the show is it's uh it's a show it's well i'll say despite the show being futuristic it's very much storytelling for these times now that we're living in
2: it's incredibly relevant for sure evan rachel wood told one of our reporters that ew that sometimes she'll be at like target and people will yell out freeze all motor functions to her um i'm wondering what what are your encounters with fans like what do they say to you
3: the oddest question that fans ask me and it comes up not terribly often but occasionally is I'm glad you're back. <laughs> so uh, they 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 thought that Bernard uh, had succumbed to the bullet to the hard drive, but uh, I'm I'm glad I'm glad Bernard's back too. I, I've, I've I've told this story a couple of times, but my my favorite encounter was a fan was during a protest up at Troll uh, Troll Tower uh, just after the election amongst. This this mob of people uh, expressing their uh, discontent at the uh, shenanigans that we witnessed play out uh, during the course of uh, the last few months of the election. And, you know, expressing their uh, their their anger, outrage, uh, resentment, uh, objection uh, to, uh, you know, this. You know, this 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 decaying political discourse and political leadership in our country and their cops, you know, around trying to keep the order. And, and, and one cop looks at me and he goes, hey, so are there multiple timelines or what's what's going on? And it was just that's just my favorite fan encounter. Uh, by far how do you
2: handle it uh how do you handle it when fans try to get spoilers out of you do you have sort of a default response
3: oh yeah shut all that down shut all that down we've gotten skilled at this now so uh we can't be broken we can't be broken i broke once with my son and he regretted it season one he you know he wanted he wanted he'd been on set and you know he was really engaged with it, and he, you know, he, he, he just he, he asked one too many questions and insisted that I answer. I did, and then he regretted. So uh, I have told him uh, nothing. Uh, season going into season two, and uh, and and I, likewise I tell uh, anyone who asks me nothing, and I I'll not be broken. I won't be broken anymore. I learned my lesson.
2: You won't be broken. Well, you learned your lesson and so did your son, I guess. Uh, without giving too much away, is there anything you can tease for about Bernard's journey for the rest of the season?
3: The story is that the rabbit holes have a sub-basement. And and inside the sub, sub-basement is where they breed baby rabbit holes. And so Bernard is, you know, once again, dropping down into, you know, the new unknown and... Peter Abernathy holds some insight and Bernard is uh, is a curious guy and he's also, again, trying to survive it all. So he's using every tool that he can to understand the where, uh, the why and the by whom. And so off off he goes, empowered with a bit more information, but perhaps not enough to keep him out of harm's way.
2: Nobody's really out of harm's way, right, in Westworld? (laughs) Well, Jeffrey, thank you so much for calling in. We're so happy to talk to you. Um, And the season is great so far. And we're really uh, expecting and pulling for an Emmy nomination for you come July.
3: Uh, I I stick with the focus on the things that I can control. Thanks for your time. And yeah, I'm, I'm glad everyone is finally getting to see uh, what we've been up to because uh, that's what we have control over and we you know we we immerse ourselves in it we we try to bring it bring it as hard as we possibly can and and uh, and just uh, hope folks enjoy it
2: awesome well thank you so much and have a great rest of your day.
0: Well, that's going to do it for another episode of Chasing Emmy. Thank you so much for joining us. If you've enjoyed what you hear, please leave us some comments and feedback on the iTunes store or rate us so other people can find us. And you can tweet us as well. You can tweet me at, at Henry Goldblatt. Lynette Rice is at Lynette Rice. And Kristen Baldwin is? At Kristen G. Baldwin. And that's going to do it for another episode. We will see you next week. You can find us each week in your local neighborhood podcast store. and We drop every Monday. Have a great week.